When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. From the Gospel according to St. Matthew, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Your Father who is in secret. Your Father who is in secret. This is such a strange thing for Jesus to say. In the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, he instructs the crowds not just that the acts of piety, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer should be done in secret, but that the Father himself is in secret. Or in the Greek, enpo krupto. In one sense, you could say that the Father is distinguished, set apart, private, withdrawn even. But many of these words don't really fit. God is holy, set apart, certainly. God is an unfathomable depth, holding nothing back, yet so infinite that to know a bit is to truly know, but without ever knowing all, or even a little. But Jesus uses a word that to us is scandalous. Crypto. Secret. Hidden. We know that God is a spirit, meaning that He cannot be seen Quantified, explained. God is a breath. God is unseen, invisible. And this is the very problem for modern people. If God cannot be seen, quantified, or explained, then God cannot exist. Yet this assumes that to exist means being observable by all. We Christians persist in believing that the things which are created are seen or unseen, visible or invisible. The God of Israel was always understood to be invisible. Moses could not see, and even though he spoke with God face to face as with a friend, this is simply an analogy, for later the Lord says to him that man cannot see his face and live. All Moses sees is the Lord's glory. When Elijah is up in the cleft of the mountain, he does not see anything. He hears the still small voice. The God that Jacob wrestles with in the wilderness is mysterious, hidden. And even when we can say wholeheartedly that the invisible God took on the visible in the flesh of Jesus Christ, there is still a mystery, a hiddenness. One might even say a secret. Last Sunday we read the account of the Transfiguration, which in one sense reveals just how much of a mystery was hidden in Christ. He reveals His glory. Paul says that it is Christ in whom are hidden, hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the reason that plausible arguments, reasons, all must fall silent before the mystery of Christ. The church in one sense proclaims a public witness to Jesus Christ, but in a paradoxical way, that proclamation is at one and the same time the impartation, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, the impartation of a secret and hidden wisdom of God stored up for the mature. In truth, the centrality of the mystery of Christ is so central to Christian believing that it can be said that all Christian doctrine 
derives from this mystery, a mystery that is hidden, a mystery that is not plain for all to see. In fact, we're given ample opportunity to think about that when in this very church the image of Christ is hidden. In later weeks, the image of the cross will be hidden. More important than all of that is this simple statement of St. Paul in Colossians chapter 3, set your minds, he says, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is in Christo, is a secret. Scripture commands us to let, us, to let our adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. There is something in the Christian life that is only seen by God. And we all know this to be true. We have an interior monologue. We have deep, dark sins that no one knows about. We have thoughts that no one else knows about. And all of this is to say that the Christian life, a life of fasting, almsgiving, and prayer, a life of self-denial and a life of repentance, is not primarily an active or exterior or public life. It is primarily an interior one, a hidden one, a life with a kind of cryptic meaning that is not apparent to all, but is apparent to God. Friends, we know the temptation to lead a hidden life, to have hidden sins and faults. But yet, don't we remember in the beginning of each Eucharistic liturgy that before God all hearts are open, all desires known and from whom no secrets are hid. To those we must pray with the psalmist, cleanse me from my secret faults. But Jesus today is getting at something deeper. That the Father knows, that the Father whom He knows is hidden. And that those who seek to know and adore Him must do so in the deepest parts of themselves. In a place that no one can see. That no one will ever see. The Christian must be attentive to the dangers of practicing a public piety, a public righteousness. A life lived for the good opinion of others, living by the desire to be liked, admired. Why? Because the Father does not seek our good opinion. Does not seek to be admired. He is in secret. And I say this without any judgment, but I cannot believe how often I see people uh, out in public, praying in public, highlighting their Bibles in public, doing all these things as a public witness. And, and let me say, like, well-intentioned as that may be, at the heart of the Christian life is not something which is done for all to see. At the heart of the Christian life is that which only God knows. When the disciples give to the needy, they are not to do so sounding a trumpet, but they are to exercise an interior discipline such that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. When they pray, they are to shut the door. This is the reason that for many centuries, churches shut out everyone but the baptized for the canon of the Eucharist. 
Quite literally, there's a liturgical call to shut the doors. The deacons come out and say, the doors, the doors, the doors, shut the doors. It was to say, we don't do this primarily as a show of piety or virtue. We don't do it so that others will think well of us. We also understand that there are some things in Christian liturgy that don't make sense to the outsider. Their meaning is hidden. We do these things for God alone. And yes, I'm aware that there's a camera recording this. It doesn't change the fact that all we do is for God alone primarily. Finally, the disciple is to fast in such a way that no one can tell. The outward signs in the body of fasting should be hidden. Indeed, sometimes it kind of seems that Jesus is kind of poking at those who even make their bodies appear worse than they actually are. They go around looking dismal and hungry when they may not actually be that. In our society, so obsessed as it is with virtue signaling, with holding all the right opinions and caring about all the right things, we Christians must resist the tyranny of responding to every tragedy, every offense, every scandal with a show of piety. We must resist the tyranny of making the right sacrifices according to the spirit of the age. We must commit to live secret, hidden lives which store up treasure in heaven, which commend us to the hidden life of a hidden father. In other words, as John Henry Newman loved to say, it was his motto, heart speaks to heart. St. Francis de Sales, from whom he gained that, once wrote this, the chief exercise in mystical theology, and by the way, all theology is mystical theology for a Christian. The whole life of prayer, the whole life of the Christian is mystical. The chief exercise in mystical theology is to speak to God and to hear God speak in the bottom of the heart. And because this discourse passes in those secret aspirations and inspirations, we term it a silent conversing. Eyes speak to eyes, and heart to heart, and none understand what passes, save the sacred lovers who speak. And this is the center of proper Lenten devotion, intimacy with the Father, an intimacy that remains hidden, the intimacy of lover and beloved. And that is the first thing that needs to be said today. But the question is asked, if all of this is to be secret and hidden, why put ashes on our forehead? Why make the trouble of going through all that snow and ice to get that get your ashes so that others can see just how pious and Christian we all are? Why do this? Well, the short answer is that this imposition of ashes has nothing to do with a public display of fasting. If you're worried about that, go downstairs to the bathroom afterwards and wash your face. It is not done for the good opinion of your friends and co-workers. The most ancient tradition was that Ash Wednesday was the day on which penitents seeking readmission to the church because of notorious and scandalous sin would receive ashes on the head to begin the season of Lent before being reconciled to the church at Easter. Tertian says that the, pre that the penitent must live without joy in the roughness of sackcloth and the squalor of ashes. I don't see any of you wearing sackcloth today. You might consider it quite healthy 
to bear that pain, to bear those burdens that are unseen. But it simply, this was a way of entering into the life of a poor beggar at the doors of the church. One without status. One without honor. And through the centuries, all the faithful began to see that they were not that different from the poor beggar at the doors of the church. That they were not that different from the sinner. That they were not that different from the one who was begging to be readmitted. And so they began to take on these practices as a sign of solidarity with not only those penitents, but with the poor, with the rejected, with sinners. It was a way of looking at the wreckage of human life and as opposed to standing far off in judgment to enter into solidarity with that wreckage. I mean, I think you can read the news today and see the importance of this, that to, to look at this horrid wreckage and say not that's them, but that's me. To recognize, to recognize yourself in that wreckage. It is an act very much like, wear, like clergy wearing black. To identify not with the righteous, but with sinners. With the poor. To disappear into the hiddenness of God. The hidden love that God has for them. I wear black as a discipline. To remind myself that I am the chief of sinners. To remind myself of the central fact of the priesthood, that the priest is a sinner who is placed into the light, into a life of loving and interceding for others. The priest is the wounded healer that Henry Nowen speaks of. Just as every Christian stands not as an image of perfection or being cleaned up or what the Pharisees wanted in their so-called righteousness, but an image of God's love for the broken and contrite. In the words of Johnny Cash, I wear black for the poor and the beaten down, living in the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime, but is there because he's a victim of the time. I wear the black for those who've never read or listened to the words that Jesus said about the road to happiness through love and charity. Why you think he's talking straight to me? Or to you and me? Perhaps we could see this lens that God is calling His church into the hiddenness of Himself. A hiddenness that the poor, the downcast, those who mourn and weep, and those who live captive to sin embody. Those who are publicly outcast. Those that are publicly downcast. Not because we're defeated. Not because we've become bound in morbidity and sorrow. Not because we're not living lives of repentance, but because we believe that greater things, hidden treasures, are stored up for those who wait for and hope in the coming of the risen Jesus. May we live that hidden life and live it well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.